<clears throat> Hello, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The End Times. This is Deep V's for Vendetta, the show where we talk about turning points in society. I am your host, Speedo Josh, and I'm joined this week by Jake. Jake, say hello. Hey. How y'all going? And this week, we're going to talk about the Boogaloo. The big Boogaloo. The big or igloo. small Boogaloo. You know, don't want to uh, leave those out. Be inclusive with Micro our Boogaloos here. That's right. Many Boogs. Many boogs, only one loo. <laughs> so I want to have you on because you you had a I think I brought up the topic this last week to you and you had some uh, strong opinions, let's say strong strong points to to bring up. Uh yeah, I have a real strong sense of apathy about it. A lot of people disagree with me when it comes to the idea of a boogaloo, um, which is kind of in itself a little bit of a paradox, but. I just don't buy into everybody's hype about it. And that kind of rubs people the wrong way. They really fetishize it. They, they're they all into it. They want it. Yeah, that's... um, It is some, it's something I've definitely felt a lot of sentiment for in the last couple months. There's... Uh, whether it be a Beto O'Rourke talking in the Democratic presidential the candidacy mm-hmm. debates about wanting to take away people's guns or uh, just the general left-right divide or just... Uh, whatever is going on regarding personal freedoms on the internet and people being deplatformed and stuff, there's a lot of sentiment where people want some turning point, specifically a boogaloo or some civil war, some revolutionary event where they can take back uh, something for themselves. Yeah, they're waiting for the pot to boil. And, you know, I get that because it seems like this... I don't think since the 1960s have we seen such a sharp and noticeable separation between political ideologies um especially because you got facebook and twitter and all that that are really i through you know they're they're monetarily incentivized to kind of poke at that gap between people and try to widen and widen people so it's no surprise that people are irritated and maybe a little antsy um you know and you get guys like Trump in the White House, and you get guys like Beto O'Rourke who say, we want to take your guns, and you're going to have people on both sides who have some very strong feelings about that. So the restlessness, I get. Um, but I'm just still not convinced that it's ever really going to culminate in anything. Okay, okay. Um, I do want to point out with regards to uh, like Twitter and Facebook, what do you think about their... Um, recent, I guess, commitments to uh, what was it? I think Twitter's not going to run any political ads, and Facebook's going to do some. Uh, uh, there, there's something limited, or some level of fact checking, or something. I, I forget. They're they're limiting them quite a bit. What's your yeah, opinion on that? Um, I think Facebook is in implementing a fact checker, um, which, you know, first question out of my mouth is who's going to be the fact checker? Because if it's Snopes, you're obviously going to favor facts from a certain point of view and if it's somebody else then you're going to favor a different set of facts and that's a weird sentence that you that you're favoring facts but that's really (laughs) what the internet has become is like fact shopping um and so i don't really know i don't know if it's really possible for social media groups like that to moderate fact checking and and make sure that everything that's happening on their platforms is accurate. I just don't know if that's possible, really. I mean, it's so much fun to spread bullshit around that I, I don't think people are going to stop. 
Yeah, it's so much fun to spread bullshit around. Sometimes there's a a grain of truth in a lot of stories, whether it be like a a Pizzagate leading to Epstein sort of story, where you know it's <laughs> there's a grain of truth there, but the the story itself, the specifics of it's right. wacky as hell. Um, or like even some of the random stuff Alex Jones says. I think there's a grain of truth in so, some of those, uh, you know, some of those conspiracies, but. Um, so that, that's this one side of it. Yeah, what facts you're shopping around, which ones you choose to believe or uh, go with, um, which one, yeah. Uh, and just really the the ability to fact check uh, reasonably at all um, amidst all of this is kind of ridiculous. Um, I, I'd like to be optimistic that it's not going to end up being heavily politically slanted um, for, for Facebook at least. Um, and then what do you, uh, I guess, what, what, with what they're going to end up letting through? And then I guess, what do you think about Twitter just completely um, disallowing political ads uh, completely? I, uh, I personally think that that's not really going to, you know, um, prevent things from coming through. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I don't know much about Twitter. I don't use Twitter. Um, that's because I'm scared of it. <laughs> I say enough. I, I say enough shit that can get me in trouble just in day to day life. That I've always I kept my need... personal Twitter on private. That's that's why. <laughs> yeah, I know um, everyone who follows me. The last thing I want is the Disney Corporation putting me on their shit list. But uh, I guess I don't know. I think of social media as a business first and a public platform second. So for me, the idea is. Twitter makes this decision that they're going to disallow any kind of political ads on their social network. Where's the bottom line on that? How? Where's the benefit? Do people prefer apolitical stories then? Is what that kind of tells me is that their market and research must necessarily suggest that people just don't want to fucking talk about it anymore because if if click-driven revenue was still in favor of political ads, there would be there would be no reason for them to shut them down in the first place. They're a business, and it's got to be expensive to run Twitter. I think I don't know, but I yeah, that to me the nuts and bolts of it says that there's some kind of financial incentive more than any kind of altruistic sense of goodness. And even if it's not a direct financial incentive, this could be something like uh, uh, building goodwill for Twitter or a, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah and that's, like that that in the long cap. run, yes, that in the yeah. long run, I think is going to be very beneficial for them. So uh, I can totally get behind um, you saying that. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting that Frogger um, University just sued YouTube alleging that as a public forum, YouTube doesn't have the rights to curate its content because Prager University had been selectively pruned from search results. And YouTube came back and said, well, as a matter of fact, we're not a public forum. We are an independent publisher. And that's an important distinction to make because that ultimately means that YouTube is has an authorial voice over everything that gets put on YouTube, which means that at the end at the end of the day, they're responsible for that content. 
Now, they also have the ability to editorialize their content. So if they don't like Alex Jones, they could get rid of Alex Jones because he doesn't have a right to be there. It's not a public forum. So I'm actually kind of glad that at least in YouTube's case, we have that distinction. We know what kind of ground YouTube's standing on. I would kind of like to see Facebook and Twitter get pushed in the same way where they have to decide, okay, can we selectively curate user-submitted content to fit our company's political vision, or are we just kind of a space for everybody? And I think as soon as we figure that out, we're going to have a better idea of what to expect from these social networks. And I, I think that's a, a lot of that comes through with the, the fact-checking, um, I guess, uh, fact-checking policies and fact-checking that goes on to the website and what they deem to be uh, real news. Um, I think... Uh, well, regarding the, the actual platform versus publisher thing, um, do you know exactly how uh, the FCC Section 230 thing applies to that? Is that related to uh, publishers? I have no idea. I skimmed the news article. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I need to... <laughs> I, I need to fact check. No, no, I need to uh, read up that myself. Cause there's, um, are, are you familiar with the, the Section 230 thing? Um, I, I don't know it by any kind of specifics. Um maybe i'm familiar with parts of it in theory but i don't know you you've, you've probably heard of it or heard it talked about where it's the um it's the the law that uh, i guess internet or websites are not ex or they're not liable for everything posted on their website uh so it's uh, yeah. yeah yeah that would be exactly that. what youtube and Prager university just went through okay and there we go yeah youtube actually forfeited that protection okay. and said and said we're not a public forum so yeah we are now we are now responsible yeah i was just forgetting whether of... it applied to publishers as well um or what what the delineated these um websites like between those two uh as far as i understand it now you would have to get somebody who actually knows what they're talking about on it but i think a newspaper would would not be protected because they are selectively curating their content you know they're they're picking their articles and they're choosing which letters to the editor get published but yes. a state-funded college campus is not <laughs> anybody should in well <laughs> in theory in theory i should say a state college is not like that because again in theory anybody should be able to go up and voice their opinion and let the marketplace of ideas decide now that obviously in practice i don't think we're seeing that happen in certain places but uh yeah of course we, we can get into that uh, another time yeah, um, yeah. i will comment also that i think facebook uh whether they mean it in a legal sense or not have called themselves a public forum before so that that uh does give oh. so, have some implications with uh, any level of say moderation or curation of content that's on facebook yeah that is interesting um you know, I don't, I don't want to get too too into this rabbit hole, no, but yeah. it is interesting how certain certain sets of ideas will get the user in trouble more than other sets. And um, I'll let other people decide what those sets of ideas are, but I do think that there are patterns in how Facebook chooses to moderate its user base. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, and I will agree there, but you're right, we should get into that, to that another time. 
This time, let's get back to the Boogaloo and how you think it's not going to happen. Or you were, oh, well, I guess relatively apathetic towards this sentiment of uh, wanting to rise up. How would you phrase it? Um, yeah, it seems... It all comes down to the driving forces behind why somebody would want to leave their house to shoot at other people. Because that's what a Boogaloo is at the end of the day. And you have what you need is a clash of ideologies and what it really boils down to in this case is your far left and your far right so to simplify it way more than it should be you have your libertarians and your antifa that's basically the two groups of people that are butting heads in an irreconcilable way to the point where they feel like the only way to achieve the end of their political goal is to possibly engage in politically motivated violence vis-a-vis -a, -vis a civil war well to simplify it even further let's look at the uh, the, the bike locks versus the uh, ar-15s <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> yeah and that's that's the hilarious thing to me too is that there are people who are making the case for the civil war but it's like well one side's got all the guns yeah, really. Um, if you look at the, look at the red, completely red states, middle America, where all of these guns are owned. Yeah, which I mean, that's the case for now. For now, but yeah. um, even then, I really don't expect those guys to ever coalesce into a solid political movement. Because I mean, a civil war is a is a war between two armies of the same state. And you need an army, which means you need to you need to have some sort of rough alliances. A libertarian defending his gun rights is going to be more concerned with dying in his bedroom, getting besieged upon by the FBI and ATF. They're not really that good at coalescing politically. I mean, you got to give Antifa that much. They show up to a rally and force constantly. Okay, yeah, and the, the only people on the uh, far right who show up to a rally are white supremacists, and they're not necessarily the yeah. ones who are going to be shooting people, or uh, they're, they're not the libertarian crowd, uh, at least in, in pure identity. Yeah, um, unfortunately for libertarians, there's a little bit of overlap, um, not enough to make any kind of actual correlation. Yeah, that's but... why I tried to clarify. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, but, you know, they just make everybody... Uh, you know, they show up and it kind of ruins the fun for everybody. I say fun, it's a civil war, but... So, so with the civil war, how what, if people don't unify, what do you think about a whole, like, uh, I guess, city-state compound sort of thing, where you have, like, the, these farms of, you know, uh, a dozen people, a hundred people, stockpiled guns just sitting there, you know, their own little city-state. What do you think about that idea? That is the most plausible... <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I'm serious. I think that that's the most plausible way that we'll ever see any kind of actual factionalized power struggle in this country besides just the federal government kicking doors down. Um, you know, you look at, like, uh, Waco, Texas, and that farm somewhere in Wyoming a couple of years ago where the cattle farmer had a problem with, uh, the, with the state, and so he took over a bunch of state property and you have examples like that but they all end the same way they all end with the fbi the atf the whoever whatever alphabet boys show up <laughs> just surround the place they have tanks they punch holes in the wall they pour in tear gas and everybody gets shot you know and that's kind of 
that's just where libertarians end up if they decide that they're really going to stick by their guns. Yeah, so they're not going to have metaphorically. They're not going to have a thousand people sitting in front of their house protesting in support of them. They're going to be on their own, and there's going to be another case on their own a few months later, and another couple years later, and it's you know one by one by one because that's kind of the, the whole libertarian uh, idea or not, not precisely idea, identity. Yeah, and you know on the other hand, the left in the last maybe four years or so, we've seen that they're very very good at showing up as a large political monolith you know where everybody is you know you can say like oh progressives can't get along because of gender identity and all that but you can at least you can at least gather them in large numbers to kind of agree and yeah, you like get so, them on the streets like there's something like the women's march or even the the um march on wall street one percenter thing how like if you you know walk five people ask them why why they're here it'll be a completely different reason than the the five people before but they all showed up and they all they all have a unified front that has some uh political momentum or some actual like you know point being proven some uh, yeah yeah some kind of vaguely socialist undertone to whatever specific itch is in their panties at the time and now, the thing is, I don't think that that's ever going to blossom into any kind of revolt because they're, they're reliant on state power. That's their whole thing. It's like the state should take care of this, that, and the other. So it would be antithetical to their values to enforce their vision of a political movement by, through violence without the state. They're going to utilize that state power through legislation. Does that make any sense? Yes, I I, uh, I agree with that, and that's that actually was a question I want to bring up related to um, gun rights. Libertarian people is if uh, say if there is a stand, if there is some some form of civil war, what side is the army going to take, or is the army going to play a role, or will that even matter if the police are semi-militarized at this point, at, at whatever point that is. So I'm wondering the state and what role you think that has to play in this and whether, like you're saying, it'll be a, kind of the, the left trying to push legislation because that's what, how they'll try to, uh, you know, how they'll try to solve things. And if that will end up with them having the support of the state or if um, really how that might play out. Well, you look at a place like Portland, Oregon, and you have a mayor with a militarized police force. You can look, you know, they've got they've got tanks wandering the streets the police do and Wait, okay I'm, I'm not i don't not know anything yet. about the military police really so that's no, uh that's they absolutely do yeah they've got uh you know they've got m4s and and uh tanks i think they shoot water cannons and tear gas you know they're not they're not 20 millimeter cannons firing you know shell bursts or anything but they're armored yeah, I mean, vehicles it's uh, it's scary shit and he it has with- been explicitly bending over backwards to make sure that the police don't come in contact with Antifa. It has been the strangest thing, and I'm not just a, I'm not just a weird fucking conservative conspiracy nut who's saying that. You can look at this dude during press conferences, and he will say, we're trying to make sure that you know Antifa gets all the space they need. Oh, but this other march, we're going to make sure that the police are all over them. And so... 
in a very, very heavily liberal place like Portland, you already have an implicit agreement between the existing state power and a very vitriolic left-wing movement. And I think that that's symptomatic of what's going to happen in places like Asheville, North Carolina, and Austin, Texas, and probably New Orleans, probably New York, maybe Chicago, I don't know. Um, you're going to see all of these metropolitan areas are going to start just slowly backing away from any kind of leftist power movements. Oh, but if that guy has a bump stock, we're going to go get him. We don't like that guy. We're going to go get him. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, that will slowly erode any ability that a libertarian movement has to even pick up because their whole thing is defiance of state power from the get-go. So obviously that doesn't work when the state has tanks. Well, yeah, and in addition to that, what I've observed is that the uh, the media is definitely on um, the, the government side for those cases. Because I'm, I'm thinking of something like the, uh, um, what was it, the, the riots in Berkeley when Milo was going to speak. Um, oh, yeah. And how it was in... Anything I saw in like CNN or media, the mainstream media, it was uh, like they they were downplaying it completely. But then I saw some clips of like, you know, what was actually going on. And there were, you know, the, the fires and broken windows and violence. And it was like I, I would I called it a riot for a reason because I it it, probably that's what it was. As, yeah, that, that's what it was. But um, the minute somebody sets a dumpster on fire, that's a fucking riot. Yeah. So that's uh, that's that was not called. I don't think like CNN or whatever mainstream news sources ever use the term riot. And um, it was definitely downplayed. And that that's a big part of, I, I would say that's a big part of any sort of revolution or any sort of movement is that you have, uh, you know, um, visibility that you, uh, you, you are able to have some sort of media, some sort of marketing you know, power on your side. And if the mainstream media kind of ignores or kind of downplays or, uh, ignores doesn't report on whatever it loses the momentum completely yeah i mean and and every movement needs a mouthpiece it doesn't matter what your argument is whether it's for global warming or second amendment gun rights or you know a garage sale down the street you need some way of broadcasting that message and uh you have a pretty apparent i don't want to i don't want to use the word bias even though that's exactly what it is, but there is a left-leaning bias you know, among almost all of the major media outlets. Maybe you have Fox News with a right-wing bias, obviously Breitbart, but for the most part, you have these media outlets that are casting favorable light on literal riots at state university campuses, which are explicitly for everybody's use. And that kind of devalues the ability of, say, libertarians or anybody on the right, that disempowers them from even being able to speak in the first place and makes them sound like a fringe group. And the minute you sound like a fringe group, you are a fringe group, and that's weird. Yeah, yes, exactly. I think that's um, that actually brings up something else I wanted to ask you, which is uh, related to um, having just a media mouthpiece, uh, pretty much any movement needs kind of some some unified figurehead or someone to lead it who is a mouthpiece for the movement and i've seen between the left and right i've seen some mixed uh, successes for this uh the left i think for a lot of 
causes is able to um, unify under one person better, whether it be like a, a David Hogg or a Greta Thunberg or a whoever else. Those are just, you know, two um, who came to my mind uh, oh. immediately. But, um, I'll the, the... say it right now, and you can take this to the bank in 80 years when I'm proved right, is that, uh, what's her name, Cortez, AOC? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexandria Ocasio. Ga- yeah, she's the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ooh, she's, okay. She's not going anywhere. No, I um, I agree with that. Uh, well, kind of, I think I agree with that. That's I'm mixed, because the next example I was going to bring up is the, uh, so far as, say, the last, uh, the 2016 presidential election, or that, that campaign, the... Right was able to, um, I guess, even though it wasn't, uh, um, like, I can't think of the stupid word, whatever. Um, even though he may not represent everyone's ideas or be the, the spokesperson for what the right believes, the Republican Party was able to uh, unify under Trump, whereas the left kind of went with Hillary, which was not what people, not whom people were really following as much. Uh, it was more, yeah. uh, from what I was understanding, it was more Bernie. So that's on that side, and that's that's... Uh, even just looking at this, um, the 2020 uh, presidential primary uh, campaign, that's something that's uh, coming back up again, whether the party and people are actually unifying under uh, like a Biden or Bernie, very uh, you know, establishment older folk, and whether or not they will be willing to go for someone younger, where AOC is, I don't think she's even old enough to run yet, but... Uh, not yet, next, I don't think. Yeah. In in one or two uh, one or two campaigns, she'll, she'll be yeah. able to. But I mean, um, she's thirty right now, so that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But but I uh, mean, with, you have Tulsi, who is kind of the next best thing to Cortez. Um, I well, have Tulsi, no doubt that. What's that? I'm 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 mixed on Tulsi, like being a candidate. I I listened to her on Rogan, her most recent appearance, and she. Anything she says does not come across as a modern Democrat. Really? Yeah. Um, she, uh, well, yeah, as a, as a modern Democrat. So a big thing uh, that a lot of people like her for is that she's anti-war. So that's kind of a classic thing. Um, that, but oh, yeah. She's, yeah, she's also big into, um, like, some, because she's experienced some, like, uh, it's not deplatforming, but some, um, yeah, yeah, some deplatforming, actually, from, like, Google Ads. Uh, she was trying to, like, take advantage of, you know, debate have some ads up people she gets visibility google had taken her down for no reason something something that's um, right i heard about that yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's some other cases down. like that and she, she actually used some terminology like uh cancel culture and um there's something else but she used terminology that i've mostly only heard from uh people who are like you know personal rights right leaning um yeah which was very interesting to hear I, I i really like what she has to say and i um but i don't think she fits in on a democratic bill no i don't either i think she rubs the i I think she rubs the old brass of the democratic party the wrong way you know i don't think you'll ever get pelosi to to capitulate to her unless it's wildly obvious that they have no other choice and as long as you have guys like biden in the race they're going to default to him because that's kind of what they do it's a very seniority based party Yes, um, and that's one thing. That that's the only reason I think AOC may not be, uh, may not have the growth that she may be able to uh, experience otherwise in the next, um, and I guess in the nearish future, in the next four, five, eight, ten years, um, is because of that that culture in the Democratic Party and how uh, you know certain more establishment people are promoted above others. 
Yeah. Well, and like I said, though, with AOC, it's not a sprint. I think it's going to be a marathon. Um, a lot of people like to dismiss her because she says a lot of silly things and she's naive. But she does certainly speak to a large section of millennials, very heavily left-wing, who don't like the established democratic doctrine. But she's doing it from the inside of the house. Like you know, she's already yeah, she's she already at the party, and she's going to change the, she's going to change the playlist. Um, and you know, people poo-poo that idea, but there's nowhere else for the Democratic Party to go at this point. You know, if they lose in if they lose in 2020, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board in a big way. Yeah, their their top uh, three candidates then become are going to be like you know 75 to 85 by the next uh, the yeah. next next election. It's uh, that's, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Back to drawing board. Um, unless they start uh, start something now, they will uh, you know suffer major losses coming up um, as far as you know politicians go. But, yeah, and it's kind of interesting that the right doesn't really have that kind of leadership per se. I mean, you got guys like Ted Cruz and uh, the lovely Mr. Uh, Sanford from South Carolina, my uh, my home senator, who is just <laughs> a uh, just a jackass. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? What most, what most recently has he done? I don't I don't know much about oh, no, him. No, I'm thinking. No, I'm not thinking of Sanford. I'm th- um, Sanford was a guy who got ch- caught cheating on his wife. Um, oh. and said that he was hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'm thinking of Lindsey Graham. And okay. Lindsey Graham, uh, he's been around since forever, but he really he really made a splash during the Kavanaugh hearings where he was just grilling that lady, what's her name, um, uh, with the rape accusation. Yeah, um, um, let me look her up. And... Yeah, I can't remember her name now, which uh, kind of tells uh, me how Ford. That... Oh, Blasey Ford, was that it? That's Christy, right. Christy yeah, Blasey Ford. So. Christine Blasey Ford, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, and he was just ruthless. Um, you know, and a lot of people don't like that, but uh, he he knows his constituents pretty well. I got to say, here in South Carolina, it resonated. And uh, so you do got, you do have you know, the old guard like that, but I don't see a whole lot of rising stars among Republicans or just conservatives in general, or even libertarians that could compare to your David Hoggs, your Greta Thunbergs or your Cortezes. Well, um, certainly ain't Milo. No, no, that's, um, so that, that's something I've been, so I've been following the, the kill stream, uh, the Ralph retort a bit more recently. And that's, they talk a lot about, uh, they've been following a lot of news with conservative conservative commentators and pundits. And um, that's something where there's a lot of division. So kind of the, the big thing uh, from what I understand right now is there's a turning point USA with led by Charlie Kirk. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, uh, there's a lot of complaints about them that they're kind of uh, just, you know, mainstream and just say what people want to hear and have kind of no principle and change their uh, change what they say every few years. And that's uh, one of the big platforms of um, uh, what's his, Nick Fuentes uh, and his his whole yeah. mo- Groiper movement, um, which they, they want to kind of go back to being steadfast to be more, uh, I guess, conservative or a traditional conservative and um, whatever uh, that means. So there's uh, between them and then you look at other uh, you know people who are big in the big in the media, like a Ben Shapiro type, or you look at um, some of the, the more uh, 
I guess eclectic individuals like a yeah like a Milo Yiannopoulos or like a Mike Cernovich or something and none of them are really unified they have a lot of arguments with each other none of them are good uh none of them are actual politicians or like actually you know in congress yeah. and um yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of uh you know there's just they're not getting a lot of mainstream light either like if you ask the average person who you know uh Nick Fuentes is they won't know but if you ask them who uh, you know about David Hogg or Greta uh, Greta Thunberg Thunberg whatever however you pronounce that stupid name out then yeah, that's uh potato face <laughs> yes um then <laughs> you uh you know they've been in mainstream media and gotten that attention uh and they're they're actually a face of a progressive a left uh cause a left movement yeah now, the interesting thing about all of that is, is that even though the left has a lot of firebrand personalities and the right doesn't, you still see more conservatives showing up to vote. And it almost seems like it doesn't matter how big of a splash you make. You're going to get people, you're going to get conservatives that show up to vote either way, but the left needs rock stars. They need Bill Clinton and Barack Obama to run at a federal level to get young people to even bother leaving the house that day. And they really got to they got to key into that. Why do you think that is? Um, boy, that that is entirely a question of personal bias, I would say. But if I was to weigh my personal bias into it, I would say it's because the left generally is a more reactionary set of ideas and they will only get on board with something if it's flamboyant. If they feel like they're part of a movement, they won't do something because it's procedural. They'll do it because it's, it's fun and interesting and new and exciting. They'll vote for Barack Obama because, oh my God, a charismatic freshman black senator that's neat but they won't vote for hillary clinton just to put another democratic supreme court justice on because that's too procedural it's not it's not exciting enough it's not sexy enough that's a really need that branding yeah and anecdotally i can i can definitely see that being the case or that uh but uh yeah i don't have enough uh you know i don't know enough to say that whether or not that's that's why that's okay that's a good I mean, and that's and that's just that's just a gut feeling that I have. Um, you know, I'm sure that you have opinion research and all that that can give some kind of better idea if you trust those kinds of sources. <laughs> I have two eyes and ear, and I, I have two eyes, two ears, and half a brain. So I'm going to use those as best I can. Okay, yeah, that's uh, you know what you got to do. Um, now I want to mm-hmm. I want to back up a second, and I want to um, so you you are not in uh you know in the belief that an act a traditional boogaloo is going to happen but what do you think is going to come from the uh the uh increasing divide between right and left politics uh do you think it's irreparable irreparable or not and um i i kind of i just kind of want to throw an observation of my own is that uh from what I see, there's, or from how I see it, they're kind of, there's not just right and left. There's right and left, and then they're internet right and left, or like the, you know, yeah. f- far yeah. right and left. And that all four of those are equally. Ab- for me. 
Okay, all four of those are equally opposed to each other, pretty much, or not necessarily equally, but they're all equally different. Let's say that, and that um, yeah, that uh, it's not necessarily just a you know one two polar bipolar question right now. Um, there's a lot. There's even more divides going on. Uh, what do you see the future of the politics uh, of of political? Mm, alliances groups what, what do you see the future yeah. of this being and is it irreparable or not the differences between everyone well i'll go ahead and put 20 bucks on the table now uh that in 30 years everything's gonna kind of settle down and yeah you're still gonna have your your left and your right your republicans your democrats whatever they're called you're still gonna have two fairly disparate groups with different ideas that want to do things a different way I think there's going to be a lot less vitriol in 30 years. And the reason for that is that the internet is going to lose its novelty. Oh. Because it is so... How long has the internet been around? Like, realistically, uh, 15 years. Yeah, realistically, 15 years. I think there was a... I think I started a trivia question we, recently. It was like 87 or something was when it, the World Wide Web started. Yeah, yeah. Um, but most AOL email well, yeah, accounts yeah. weren't started till 1998 or so. Yes, exactly. So, People have had regular access to the internet for 15 to 20 years and uh, social media has been around for about less than 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And it is such an intense vehicle for groupthink and for, click dri- for clickbait-driven sensational headlines and sensationalism and vitriol. But... You're going to have a generation of people coming up after you and me that grew up from day one with a Facebook account, with a Twitter account, with all of this. They're going to get a LinkedIn account in the eighth grade as part of a school project. They're, the Internet isn't really going to be fun and exciting. It's just going to be another thing, the way printing presses and paved roads are for you and me. And when that happens... My 20 bucks that's sitting on the table right now says people are going to chill the fuck out. Okay. They're going to find other things to entertain themselves with because this cycle of getting into internet arguments and splitting each other apart because we like to feel right isn't going to appeal to a generation of people that can just shop around for their beliefs in the first place. It, it's not Either novel. Or it's going to get worse. It's not a novel experience to throw an idea out there and be heard and be be argued with by people across the world. It's that's yeah, you're, that's just you know going to be part of everyday life. That's uh, people grew up that it's it's mundane practically. And yeah, I can't and necessarily once it's mundane. Why do it? Yeah, and I can't necessarily argue with that because I don't really know the whole Zoomer uh, population very well. I don't know like kids in high school right now. What do what do they actually think of social media? Like Facebook's not cool to them. I don't think they like you know get no. their memes elsewhere, right? Uh, they it's it there's a lot of there's a lot of very direct interpersonal stuff that if they use facebook it's through dms if they use anything it's snapchat and instagram it's a lot of stuff that is very point of user focused and you don't really have the infrastructure in place to make these kind of group think tanks the way that our generation and generations above us especially the baby boomers seem to just naturally attract to because for them, the park has been open since day one. So why are we going to run from ride to ride when they're just going to be – that ride's going to be there. We can take it any time we want. Okay. No, that's, that's uh, interesting. I haven't, I haven't really heard anyone else uh, 
articulate it like that. Um, so about thirty years is your estimate. I guess that makes sense. Uh, with the well, I yeah, guess kind of a, it doesn't have to be hard rough. and fast. Yeah, yeah. But that makes enough sense with uh, transitions between generations and what age people will be then. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because people don't really generally care about voting till they turn 30, 35-ish anyway. Once they, so once they own homes and care now. about, like, once they own, own homes, have kids in schools, and care about a lot more of uh, local policy. Yeah, the first year that you realize that your in- income tax could have paid your rent, then you're like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, okay, hold on, uh, wait, hold on. What have I been not paying attention to? Jesus Christ, yeah, it's, uh, it's depressing to think about that, but... <clears throat> okay that's um yeah once everyone's that age they're hmm that's yeah and they're gonna get and they're gonna get desensitized to the idea that a news article can be biased because that's something that's relatively new to us even as millennials because i don't know about you but when i grew up in school if i read something in the newspaper i'm like okay that just is what oh it yeah. is. well i i grew that, up that, you know in the age when a, a, a newscaster, like I, I'm, you know, I grew up with a Charlie Gibson um, on ABC, oh, yeah. or someone like that. It's like you know, he's a household name. He's he's a he's a trusted person to hear the news from. He's a personality, and that's uh, you know, that's not exactly the case. Just to throw on the news, see your good friend, good old friendly national news broadcaster yeah, there, and yeah. um, you know, get the news from that. We're gonna sit down with Walter Cronkite and hear about what's happening. Yes, but it's only been in this last. 10 or 15 years where that has kind of that foundation has kind of crumbled yeah we're 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 just now starting to see the the effects of it we hear all about uh, like fake news and low standards in journalism these days but to an extent there's i i think there's been uh, almost never been more transparency and ability to find actual truth in journalism because we have such skepticism of people because we know uh like what to look at in sources and where to look for other sources and how many sources are available that now is uh, kind of the best time for finding news or finding, you know, facts in news. It is. And when you don't need to go through a journalist to get the information, that That turns everybody into a pentagram of truth. And you can sort through the information and say, this is important, this is not. And this is something that you and I had to learn growing up. But I'm going to circle back to this generation coming up behind us. They're going to, that's just, that's going to be their lives. Is they want to know something, they go look up the exact number and they know it. Yeah. And then can, they can do with it what they please. Yeah. The, the primary um, sources you know, are out there. It's uh, it's almost like a, a Catholic Church refer- or, um, Vatican II thing or like saying Mass in English instead of Latin where the people can actually understand what's going on. They don't have to go through a priest. Now we can actually yeah. just, you know, whether it's uh, uh, impeachment hearings live streamed on, I think it was PBS on YouTube, um, yeah. like just, you know, super easily available and it's just all the primary sources available. We can just go to that our, ourselves and understand that ourselves and we don't have to go through a, uh, you know, newscaster or a journalist. Yeah, I mean, it's the democratization of information is something that a lot of people are overlooking because it's so easy to put a magnifying glass on like oh did you hear that what was his name uh was it matt lauer that uh said that he was in a helicopter in afghanistan and he wasn't uh, um or was so that... it was one of those guys no um, uh, that, that might have been matt, that might have been anderson cooper no matt, matt no. lauer was um what he lied about was new orleans i think uh being... oh that's right yeah. yeah i think he lied about hurricane katrina stuff and he was like away from the flooding and 
uh you know in a nice hotel on the other side of town yeah yeah um yeah, but, I mean, me, the fact, but the fact that we can't remember which newscaster said which lie is kind of telling because it just shows that those institutions are outdated. They're crumbling. Um, if you, if anybody here, Brian is Williams, is that's in, it. Brian Williams, that's Sorry. it. Yeah, yep. that's uh, okay. Sorry, and I used on. to like Brian Williams. I used to trust him. But I would say this: if anybody here listening is in school for journalism. I'm not trying to be funny here. Maybe you want to learn to code instead <laughs> because when I can see, when I can see news as it's happening from my Twitter feed, you're just going to end up being an advertisement vehicle. That's all journalism is. And that's all it's ever going to be anymore. Uh, there's no more, there's no more premium on information when it's available to everybody. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. I, I'm a little mixed on that. Uh, so I've, I actually have a friend I went to school with, um, still keep in touch with, who works at the the Daily Caller, and I'm just saying this is a uh, kind of a an exception where they apparently have a lot of their own uh, voice and in independent reporting there. I mean, of course, you know, still oh, yeah. editors and all that, but uh, writers pretty much get to have a lot more freedom than at more uh, you know establishment mainstream places. Um, and it's always interesting for me now. This like. Now that I pay attention to more news and more, and the Daily Caller is definitely a, a big source that's talked about a lot in the media, um, it's interesting to hear like kind of uh, various perspectives from that and from knowing someone who works there. Oh, yeah, and I don't doubt that there's still going to be organizations like that. Um, you know, it's just that they're going to have to be a lot more careful about making very, very, making sure for 100% certain that they're not injecting their own personal politics into it because they will get called out. And once you get called out, the Twitter mob turns on. You, <laughs> you can't really, you can't really undo that. Yes. And, um, I, I will go back and agree with what you're saying that journalism is very much a vehicle for ads or that when it's, uh, there's more independence or more, um, you know, diverse diversity in reporting that there's not a lot of money in it. Uh, that, that yeah. is definitely something I've, I've uh, heard about and observed. Yeah, and I think it's a recent development, you know, maybe the last 10 years or so, um, just as kind of a symptom of the fact that everything's getting put online. Um, yes. That was a loud truck, I apologize. <laughs> um, but, you know, the fact that everything is out there and available, you could just go up and get it, it's like, I don't want to be this. I don't. I, I don't want to be disparaging when I say this, but the first expression that comes to mind is like pigs to a trough, and I think it's that kind of, it's that kind of sense of plenty that is going to keep people from getting too riled up. Okay. You know, to circle back to the boogaloo. Yes. Why I think it's impossible. Civil strife comes from shortage and hardship, and I just cannot for the life of me imagine a scenario where the average american is going to be so hungry and so displeased that he's going to turn off netflix put his tv dinner down and go outside with a rifle i just don't ever see that happening and that's what it takes okay this uh, i actually did want to circle back around and that was that was a good transition there's um there's something you you uh, brought up to me before we started recording which is um, I think you expressed something that uh, 
over the next decades and century that uh there will definitely be some recession in gun rights and that um oh absolutely and that because of uh you know general plenty in our lives because of a lack of reason for uh extreme civil unrest a lack of reason to lash out um because our lives are you know so uh i guess taken care of in general that taking away gun rights is not enough or that's not uh, radical enough to um you know cause a boogaloo event well theoretically it would because the libertarians are absolutely they are die hard to that point and i mean that literally they will die to defend their gun rights you know and we've seen this happen where the atf raids a house and you've got a guy with a shotgun saying from my cold dead hands the issue is that gun rights aren't gonna you're not gonna see mass confiscations overnight no that's that's not that's not how this works you see a general gradual chipping away at gun rights you know through the 1993 federal firearms act yep through the recent ban on bump stocks little by little you have individual states and the federal government just chipping away at that statue until eventually there's going to be nothing left yeah and, uh, now yeah. what's that oh sorry i was just going to um say that we brought up beto o'rourke uh, at the beginning and yep. from what I was reading, his uh, what he was proposing or what he wanted to do was a, uh, I think, quote unquote, mandatory buyback for um, yep. like, a, uh, I think you call them weapons of war. So like specifically just the uh, yep. ri- rifles like AR-15s, AK-47s, um, the, the classic assault style rifle. Um, so that's it, like you were saying, it's very slowly uh, going through, um, you know, very well, slowly taking things where very slowly um, going step by step. And yeah, sorry. What were you saying? No, that's all right. Um, do you remember what I told you uh, in that? Do you remember what I said in that message before? I think it was yesterday when I said that the libertarian's best friend was going to be Beto O'Rourke. Yes, I well, believe that. And when I, when I, when I, you know, I'm a, I'm a gun guy. I'm a Second Amendment guy. And when I say that, I say it completely unironically that Beto O'Rourke is a gun nuts best friend because elaborate he is proposing the only set of circumstances that would cause libertarians to unify under a single banner for a single direct cause of action that would cause boogaloo because his his methodologies are so sweeping and so sudden his exact wording was hell yes we're going to take your guns and that is completely antithetical to everything libertarians or even your, you know, your grandpa with a shotgun believes that if you gave Beto O'Rourke that kind of power, you would absolutely see people rising up en masse to stop it. They would rise up against the ATF and the FBI. They'd be storming the halls of the Texas Capitol building in Austin. You would see fiery civil action. Some of it violent, unfortunately, but that's just, you know, that's how these things happen. No, that's, and that's... That, is the, that is the only condition by which gun rights activists, for lack of a better term, can preserve their gun freedoms. Because otherwise they're going to slowly lose them through the erosion of rights through legislation. That's a really good point. That's something um, where, something I, I 
like to follow is uh let's just say internet stuff and so a big thing yeah. now is the, the you know the quote-unquote cancel culture and deplatforming from youtube and facebook and itunes and whatever but but the all the tech companies clearly had a lot of foresight with what they're gradually doing with their companies whether it be the collection of data or the moderation of content or uh you know in how they justify a lot of this how slowly it was all brought along how they've you know they're taking away things very slowly or it's very select cases like alex jones who is uh mm-hmm. who's taken who's deplatformed and um how jack dorsey uh, he went on joe rogan and he had the three specific infringements of uh, tos for alex jones and why he was taken off and it, that it wasn't a bot that it was a person and so it's very slowly very like you know uh, sympathetically going forward and yep. although people say it's you know every day you're hearing something crazy new it's not unified enough or it's not sweeping enough that it's uh, people are actually uh, revolting as much as you can against uh, Facebook but you're yeah. right that that uh, something a, a, mandatory, a mandatory buyback of all assault style weapons something sweeping like that someone responding hell yes I want to take your guns is enough to unify people it is jarring and shocking enough to um you know actually cause people to respond respond possibly violently yeah it'll that would be throwing the frog into a boiling pot as opposed to sticking him in a lukewarm pot and turning the burner on i like that image yes yeah and that's exactly that's exactly how it's going to happen is that we're already in the pot you know i can't i can't buy a bump stock which i personally don't want one but whatever it just annoys me that i can't and you know tomorrow i may not be able to buy a uh, glock 17 because it has a 19 round magazine or however much it has i thought oh well, yeah well, nuts i can hear you guys getting <laughs> upset off. or whatever you know rationale they have behind it whether it be the magazine the size how it fight whatever um yeah yes. they're gonna keep finding these rationalizations for magazine capacity rate of fire damage it does because think about it this way uh how much do you know about guns me not a lot not 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 a lot lot. okay that's uh, no that's perfect then because then i get to explain it yes please do um one of the big thing that people one of the biggest things that people don't like about ar-15s is that they're semi-automatic which means you pull the trigger once you get one bullet Mm -hmm. you know one trigger you know one pull, one bullet. One pull, one bullet. You don't have to cock it. You don't have to pump it. You don't have to do anything. Now, when you think about it, a revolver, you pull that trigger, the hammer pulls back and slams against the firing pin. A revolver doesn't need any set of mechanical operations beyond just pulling a trigger. So you can fire six times by just pulling the trigger. In a lot of ways, functionally, it's not that dissimilar from an AR-15. It's a lot simpler, it's a much smaller capacity, but in theory, it's one trigger pull, one bullet. So it's by the logic of people that want to restrict gun rights, there is no reason why somebody who can't have an AR-15 should be allowed to have a double-action revolver. They work the same way, because that's, the rate of fire is ostensibly the same. That's a really good point, and that's... a. Uh... From, from what I understand, from my viewpoint, not everything for gun manufacturing has specific, or for gun classification has specific 
classification or, or um, definitions. Oh, it's insanity. So I'm, um, yeah, it's 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 extremely difficult to do gun modifications yourself in such a way that you're 100 percent certain. Oh, you know, a lot of gun nuts are going to say, "Oh, well, all you need is this this size barrel." Whatever. I'm a layman. I just like to go shooting on the weekends. I don't know if I cut my barrel down on my shotgun whether I've just broken a federal law or not because it's nebulous. Yeah, it well, just never ends. Yes. And then whether or not the federal government has a problem with it is one thing. Then you got to look at the state you live in. If you're in New Hampshire, you can do whatever you want. If you're in California, you can't do anything. So there are so many angles of attack that it's just a it's an inevitability. I think Rich was telling me too with his uh, his giant 50 cal handgun that like if he has certain bullets in it it's illegal and if you you know then uh or yeah certain rounds in it it's illegal and it's like very similar to a certain type of gun that is illegal in california and it's uh that's yeah there, there are a lot of very specific things things that it's hard to tread the line of and i'm also thinking yeah, I, was, I was reading something recently where um i think the term assault style technically is a marketing term or it's not like an actual classification yes. of guns so um. uh uh, yeah, it was you... invented by it was invented by Ruger in either the '60s or '70s to market M16s to civilians. Okay. So let's not make like okay, gun nuts. Stop saying it's not an assault rifle. Just yes, it is. <laughs> All right, you're arguing you're arguing the wrong point if you're trying to argue those semantics because you're going to lose because your double action revolver is semi-automatic by their reasoning. You're not going to win by using their reasoning. You got to listen to me, guys, because it's important. Well, but sorry, that's just a that's just a message to the audience there. But um, yeah, it there's no. Where's my train of thought? Uh oh, there it goes. <laughs> no, wherever wherever thought wherever that thought was going is gone. But oh yeah, no assault rifle. Yeah, uh, assault rifle was a civilian marketing term for an M16, which at the time you could buy fully automatic. You could buy fully automatic guns until 1993, and okay. nobody cared. Yeah, in fact, the- you still can. You just have to go through an extra step, and you have to be in a state that will let you. Okay, and that's um, yeah, that's something I, I was uh, I was thinking of, or I think of when I hear you know, yeah, assault rifle, assault style weapon, or uh, I think. A Beto O'Rourke was using the term weapon of war, which sounds like uh, what assault, assault style or assault rifle was referring to, where it's, you know, formerly only used in war, this is what's actually used in the battlefield, but you can buy it as civilian. So, um, Velcro and penicillin are weapons of war. <laughs> That's, I mean, where did they come from? They came from the army putting out contracts for, for buttonless pouches and something to keep their soldiers from getting syphilis in france in 1915 yeah so what's a weapon of war well it's nebulous well what is a weapon of war but it's also that the the congressmen who are going to be passing these laws uh and who are writing these laws are presumably um you know firearms laymen the people voting for these are presumably firearms firearms laymen and that there's a lot of flexibility with the definitions of these terms that that it's a very easy way to kind of uh, gradually go with uh, receding rights with um uh, gradually restricting more and more guns in a uh, 
ambiguous but then once you know once you have some court case on it once you have a supreme court case on it there's yep. uh there's precedent there's a legal precedent for you know a certain type of gun being under a certain definition even if it wasn't like manufactured or regardless of how it's made how it actually functions and then that makes things uh, very easy or makes it very easy for gun laws to become stricter uh is what i'm yeah. hearing is what i'm understanding from uh, what you're telling me yep that, and that's exactly it um you know, and if the argument is the semantics of what a gun, how a gun performs, you're never going to win that one if your aim is to preserve gun liberties. Um, people need to argue the philosophical stance on it, that yes, I have a right to do this, that, and the other. Otherwise, there are people who are going to be arguing that it's for the common good. You know, you got children dying in schools, yada, yada, yada. So... You know, you really have to be careful about how you argue these things. And I just don't see the care being taken. You know, you got everybody thinks that the NRA is this big, scary pro-gun organization. But the NRA has been very complicit in chipping away at gun rights. You look at their work in California, and they're the reason you can't buy a 10-round magazine. That was their idea. Okay. There's uh, presumably some compromise. I, I don't know the background to it. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was a it was a concession so that instead of no removable magazine, well, ten rounds, and then it became well, okay, maybe not ten rounds, five rounds. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe maybe some not about five rounds. You just yeah, but they come no, in at least six no or something, or all manufactured guns are or some something like that, where you know yeah. it becomes a it's like a, it becomes like abortion laws in the South or the Bible Belt, where it's uh you yeah. know it becomes effectively illegal to uh to own or yeah. use something. Um, Precisely. Okay. Now, now I want to continue with laying out the uh, the Jake anti Bukaloo timeline, where it starts out in eight years. We got AOC being the next big thing. In thirty years, we got politics kind of mellowing out and people being uh, the internet not being novel anymore. And then, wh when do you see the uh, the let's say I'll just say it's the sweeping guns are illegal statements? And to what extent? When when do you see that happening? Um, I don't think it's ever going to be one thing. Um, I think people 80 or 90 years from now are just going to like look over their shoulder and go, oh my God, dude, did you know that they made guns illegal? No, I never noticed that, but they totally did. When did that happen? And nobody's really going to have an answer for that because it's already, it's already started and it's been in motion since the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, when Hillary Clinton said we need to what what is it uh what was her terminology when she was a senator in new york she said that we need to crush gang members under the heel of our boot i believe was an exact uh quote or a somewhat exact quote okay um and so i mean it's been already going on for nearly 30 years and you know that the whole idea that they're all of a sudden going to confiscate all the guns that's the worst case scenario for somebody who wants to get rid of guns. The best case scenario for them is to just piecemeal bit by bit, get rid of, well, you don't need a shotgun with an eight round tube and you don't need a semi-automatic rifle. And well, that revolver functions the same as a semi-automatic rifle. And well, that double barreled shotgun has two triggers, which means it can fire faster than a regular pistol. And your pistol has too much ammunition. It's going to be incrementally over time. And, you know, eventually the frog in the pot is going to realize it's boiling, but it can't remember when the stove turned on. 
Yes. Um, I guess I'm also thinking something on the side. To what extent do you see there being a possibility of guns becoming a, I guess, completely, um, what do I say, like DIY underground thing? Like kind of, uh, you know, all standard gun manufacturers are effectively out of business and all guns are some... Uh, either you know personally made small small or a small town thing or um like ghost ghost gun 3d printed whatever 3d printed kind of guns or or any Um, type of thing just like effectively independently manufactured i think that in order for that to happen you would need to preserve gun culture because if you live in an area with no gun culture then people don't really see a need for guns if you move to a kind of cushy suburban uh, Maryland neighborhood where there's not a whole lot of crime and the police show up within 15 minutes, then nobody knows how to use a shotgun. They don't have any desire to get one because what are they going to do with it? You don't have that impetus to say, okay, well, I need to learn how this works. I need to learn how to make one, all of that. You're still going to have those, you know, those sections of rural America where, you know, people are going to 3d print guns and they're going to be making them in a mill shop because it's not hard. Give me 40 bucks and let me loose in home Depot. I can make you a shotgun, but then what do you do with that shotgun? If it's completely illegal, well, you stash it under the bed and wait for the ATF to knock your door down. You're not going to go out skeet shooting with it. And over time, slowly that culture is just going to wither on the vine. Um, so that may take longer. That may take 100 years, 150 years, where you're going to see that you're going to see that just love of recreational shooting and hunting kind of dwindle out and die. Um, it's not necessary. It's not something anybody needs. And the self-defense aspect of it has already been thoroughly made illegal. So what is there left for people to do with the technology? And when you mention gun manufacturers, there's kind of an inside joke with people who, with gun nuts, that it's like, oh, it's February, Colt is going broke again. Because, (laughs) and it happens once every maybe 12 years that Colt or Remington goes broke. And everybody, you know, you, you get Chicken Little who says, oh no, the company's closing up. But all it is is that they stop selling guns to civilian markets. Because very little of Colt or Remington or any of those business, any of those companies, very little of their business comes from Bubba and Walmart. Almost all of it comes through government contracts. No, that's, that's not that makes sense. That's something I wanna, um, and I, I don't see that slowing up, uh, at least dramatically, anytime soon. Um, that's something I want to talk about it on, on a future episode. Is kind of the the. Uh, I guess modern Cold War is what I'll refer to it as. But um, oh, that's a yeah, that's a good uh, that's 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 a nebulous subject right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I work for a defense contractor, so like I feel personally invested a little Ooh. bit more. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. But uh, I kind of want to conclude with uh, one uh, kind of one final question uh, to follow up on some of this uh, gun rights stuff and um, political division, which is, do you ever see it? Uh, I guess, do you ever see gun rights stuff specifically swaying back in the other direction? Do you ever see them uh, getting looser, uh, I guess, looser restrictions, um, looser laws on the, the manufacture and owner, ownership and use and carrying of guns? 
the only condition by which I could see that becoming a possibility is if you had a flourishing of gun culture. And gun culture doesn't come from cities. It comes from the country where people have more physical space to go skeet shooting or go to the range or go hunting. And as long as people keep favoring cities over, you know, rural America the way they typically have been over the last 400 years, I don't really see that changing a whole lot. I think that the trend is going to continue down the road we've gotten. Maybe something will happen that will drive people from the city to the country. Perhaps maybe the automation of the labor force. Um, you know, programming is the new coal mining. So, you know, your ticket to the middle class is, you know, can be done on a PC you buy and take with you anywhere. Well, people also so, move to, like, middle, middle America where it's cheaper to live and they can program from, exactly. you know, uh, work remotely. Yeah, if you can work remotely for a quarter of the living cost somewhere in Tennessee, that's pretty appealing. And so that might be the thing that pushes people back into the flyover country. And if that happens, if those populations start to swell instead of ebb, then I think that the, the, the soil will be fertile again for gun culture to kind of revive. And so, yeah, a lot of it's gun culture related, but uh, related to that and how that's you know, very state-specific, um, to what extent do you think going forward that uh, for further legislation on gun laws will be state or federal-based? Um, I think the federal gun legislation kind of gets followed in the wake of state regulation. So, you know, you get places like California that are just balls to the wall. We're going to try to get rid of everything. And the federal government will kind of eke along and say, okay, no more bump stocks because that is technically a way to make an automatic weapon. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. And so you're probably working at like a 1 to 10 timescale ratio on that. Where like, you know, over the course of 10 years, states collectively are going to do X amount, but it's going to take 100 years for the federal government to catch up. Okay, yeah, no, I can, uh, I can understand that. And any final words on uh, on the Boogaloo and your thoughts right now? Um, if it does happen, hit me up. Um, I've got <laughs> my plans laid out. I know where I'm going and what I'm going to be doing, but I'm also going to be playing loosey-goosey with it. And uh, I'm going to try to be doing the surprising instead of getting surprised. So uh, if, it, if I'm wrong and it happens, then uh, bring it on. I'm taking that as an open invitation to your bunker, okay? Just in case you're, uh, in case you're wondering. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much for awesome. your time. This has been Thank you, glad to be here. Deep V's for Vendetta. Uh talk about societal turning points today, this week about the Boogaloo. Um anything uh, I guess follow up, anything you wanna you know, talk about like yeah, I don't know, plug. Do you do internet stuff? Um I guess um Oh, you know what? Yeah, if uh if you are on Facebook and you're okay with a totalitarian <laughs> corporation, social media corporation taking over every facet of your life like I am, then journey on over to snack posting at facebook.com slash group slash snack posting. We talk about all the best snacks and even the worst snacks. Facebook.com slash groups slash God damn it. Facebook.com slash group slash snack posting. Slash group slash snack posting. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I knew we'd get it. <laughs> add a mouthful of add a mouthful of pretzels.
Yeah, the snacks right there. There we go. From our snack aficionado himself, Jake. Uh, thank you again. That's right. Head on over to Snack Posting, where uh, with the cabin trip coming up, there's bound to be a new civil war Woo! over there. So uh, if you can't get yep, your boogle in yep. real life, go to Snack Posting. And uh, a snack divided. Have a good, uh, I guess, from, from this episode, non boogaloo peacetime coming up, everyone. Good night. Bye.